Moms are great. Mother's Day is a nightmare. With the world beginning to reopen, this may be our busiest Mother's Day yet. Yelp for Restaurants is here to help you execute a flawless service. Contactless table management, reservation management, and digital waitlisting tools ensure your diners don't have to wait around in long lines in an era of social distancing. Empower your guests to add themselves to your digital waitlist before they even leave home. Provide accurate wait times and automatically notify them right before their table is ready. Let's get back to business better than ever. Listeners of this podcast get three months of free access to waitlist and $300 of free monthly advertising credits. Visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash Mother's Day to learn more. Now here we go. Hopefully by the end of this interview, someone can listen to this, lay back in their chair and be inspired to not just cook a dish, not to just know a little bit more about Eric Williams and his story, but to secure more integral, more equitable, more safe space for people. If I could get that accomplished, food tastes better in all those spaces. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. What does it mean to be a chef? Chefs have long been known for high standards, attention to detail, and an unparalleled work ethic. But they've also been known for big egos and bad tempers. Slowly, things seem to be evolving. Today we chat with Eric Williams of Virtue, who is redefining what it means to be a chef. Eric's standards are as high or higher than most, but he leads with a grace, patience, and empathy that is unique to the back of house. In our conversation, the chef shares how his life and his career have evolved into something that could only be described as virtuous. It was very important to me as we started thinking about virtue to create the kind of place where it wasn't this indirect impact. We wanted to have a full-on direct impact. We talk a lot about culture in the space. We talk a lot about culture between us, because I really believe that's where it starts. And I might naively embrace this idea that if the people in the building can treat each other really well, then treating guests really well becomes second nature. And the guests can feel it. They can feel it through our interactions. They can feel it through our passion for cooking. You know, my food tastes a certain way when I'm really angry. And it tastes a certain way when I'm really happy. Everything in between those two high emotional places could be summed up as just mediocre. I can put the food out. I can cook a lot of this stuff with my eyes closed, quite literally. But I'm trying to prove something when I'm angry. Like I need to work through a thing. One might say that I might be a little more focused when I'm angry than I am when I'm happy. Because there's less of a margin for error. Like I need the food to be a certain way when I'm angry. There might be more love in the food, opposite of my angry state, when I am happy because I'm in a place usually of joy and sometimes it's nostalgic. Sometimes it's just really a great day. First day it's sunny outside. First day I get to work with a product that I haven't worked with in a while. I'm excited about somebody that I get to cook for and I care about. And then the food's more organic. It's not as laser focused. I'm really relying more on muscle memory and nostalgic space, like a thing, trying to get a thing that tastes closest to the thing that I remember it as. 
could be me cooking something for the first time. And so two different spaces, similar results, but one could be arguably slightly different. And so we want to harness culture. We think there's a lot of energy there. We've seen a lot of energy there over the pandemic when it has been hardest to harness culture. And we've seen the need for a culture of respect and dignity and grace and poise, all things that are virtues. And I say that without trying to shamelessly plug our brand. I say it because I think we did the right thing. And I feel good about that. And I say that with confidence. It's not about, let me see how many times I can say virtue during this interview, because maybe somebody will hear it and want to come to the restaurant and we'll increase our sales. It's about me saying the things that align in my life right now and the things that are important to me and the things that I'm looking to progress. And hopefully by the end of this interview, someone can listen to this, lay back in their chair and be inspired to not just cook a dish, not to just know a little bit more about Eric Williams and his story, but to secure more integral, more equitable, more safe space for people. And if I could get that accomplished, food tastes better in all those spaces. Just does. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that there are two sides to it, right? The first side is like unlearning. Because I would assume you came up in the industry like I did. Really harsh conditions, always being motivated almost exclusively through fear and intimidation and aggression. It's not like anyone showed me a new path forward, right? And that's not to say that those experiences weren't interjected with kindness and teamwork and passion and unity. Because somehow in the space of a restaurant, all of those things can like coexist in a way that at least makes sense for the people that are working there. But I'm curious to know, how did you re-educate yourself and retrain yourself to be the leader that you wanted to be, especially during those dinner rushes at 8.15 p.m. on Saturday night when the same dude has burnt the same dish five times? So I didn't re-educate myself. These days, I'd like to say I've evolved. I'm still pretty pissed off if the guy burns the same dish right, <laughs> for the next amount of time. How I express that is different. And because my job is larger now, it has more capacity, I may or may not be the person that's directly confronting that person. So I have more filters and I have more buffers. People would say, we're not going to take the behavior of chefs from years past or operators. I won't argue if people are going to take it or if their approach to it is different. What I will say is that kitchens provide a lot of rigor. And that rigor doesn't always come in the form of a chef raising his voice or her voice, a person throwing a plate, throwing you out of their kitchen. But disappointment is a pretty powerful thing. And it's disappointing when you contextually think about this idea that someone is spending their entire day's pay to have a meal and your excuse is I'm having an off day. It's just not acceptable. You know, if you save your money to go buy a car only to find out halfway up the road 
that the engine locked up or that the rubber started peeling off the tires. The level of disappointment in that vacuum is intense. God forbid you've got like your favorite family member, like grandma in the car with you. She's proud. Maybe she helped you with the down payment or something. Somebody who's like super endearing. Now you're embarrassed and disappointed. We just call that mad, but it's a combination of emotions, right? That gets us to that level of anger. And does the guy go back to the dealer and allow them to say, you know what, let us just give you one more car. We heard that the engineer that day or the guy who oversees tire production or the guy who was supposed to put oil in your engine was having a bad day. People are usually allowed to have bad days when we're defending them. But when the service is being provided for us or to us, there's not a lot of patience for a bad day. Pilots don't get to have bad days. Can't crash a plane because you were having a bad day. You can't almost crash a plane because you were having a bad day. Physicians make errors, but they do not get to have bad days. It's not acceptable. And so in kitchens, because we're not saving anybody's life, saving anybody's life, we want bad days. And we actually are preserving people's lives. If restaurants are truly places where we restore, as I've been told by Chef Omar Tate, that that's the base word, and I took his word for it because I dig him. If we're in the restoration business, if you took a really cool desk and restored it, everybody that saw it and saw the desk before and after would say, oh my God, it's like you brought this thing back to life or you gave this thing a new life. So why is it that when I take something that is edible, the term for hurting someone with food is called food poisoning. I can physically poison you, cause bodily harm to you. If we use that as two sides of a coin, either I poison you or I restore you, then there's a lot of weight on my shoulders. There's a responsibility to my work. And if there is that kind of responsibility to my work to either heal someone or to hurt them, then there's a level of sophistication, a level of integrity, and a level of professionalism that I need to maintain. So then rigor means something different. Now, am I trying to side with every chef that ever threw a plane or kicked somebody out the door? No, I think some of them are idiots. However, I do understand, and I've had moments where I've been mad enough to throw something, and I have told somebody to get out of my kitchen, and there may be some other words in between, get, in, get out and kitchen. And I've seen people cry. I've had tears in my eyes. I've had tears in my eyes in the kitchen and nobody's even raised their voice. I saw the food and just knew it felt like I couldn't do anything to get that food right. I've had somebody take over my station. I've spent out in the kitchen before. Like I've gone through the whole gamut. I know those emotions. They are not foreign to me. I can tell you that I haven't seen somebody in tears and compounded their frustration or their anxiety. I spent a lot of time investing in people. And when you spend a lot of time making an investment, if you're a savvy investor, you expect a return on your investment. And it's taken years for some people to understand what that investment was. But I've been fortunate enough to have numbers of people, high numbers of people reach out to me in times when I was having a hard time. And, you know, the word was out. A restaurant is closing or 
Has anybody talked to Chef? He's gone dark. I hear Chef struggling with X. And people have reached out and sent very thoughtful notes. People I never would have expected. If you told me to list a name of folk who hate my guts, they were on that list. And they wrote me to tell me that I taught them a lesson that they'll never forget about a thing. And these were life lessons that they learned through the kitchen. Some of those life lessons are what it means for your team to depend on you. What it means to show up, not just for yourself, but the people that are around you. What it means to try to be clean and organized. Because starting with a little bit of cleanliness and a little bit of organization extends into everything else you do. How you think, how you move, how you respond, how you cook. Take the cooking out, it still works at home in your relationships. Take relationships out, it still works at your office job with your coworkers. Take coworkers out, it still works at the dog park when you're walking your dog, right? That organization and cleanliness piece, it just works. And it works in a place that means a lot to me, community. And so I wanted to expand the reach and the range of my community. And that's one of the things I wanted to expound upon and I wanted to improve upon as I open my own place. There's obviously a transition from being an operator, no matter how high the level is, to becoming an owner. They're just decisions that you're confronted with on a regular basis that, at least for me, were both unexpected and situations I was totally unprepared for. It's not really about what happens in real time in the middle of the restaurant, in the middle of a busy service. It's laying awake at four o'clock in the morning with your spouse laying next to you wondering, How are we going to get through this? How are we going to overcome this? And knowing that ultimately it's going to be your decision that determines the fate of this investment that you've made in both real estate and in a business and in the people that operate that business. How has ownership informed your leadership? In order for me to tell you how ownership has informed my leadership, I have to take a step back and tell you that I was taught ownership as a cook. And it's not talked about enough in that aspect. I learned early on that I was the keeper of the produce on Garmage. So I had to identify my product, identify the product was usable and pristine. It wasn't just passable, but pristine. So I had to inspect lettuce. I didn't get to just use lettuce. I had to make sure that the balance of citrus is right in my vinaigrettes. And I also had to make sure that things were fresh, crisp. They couldn't just be appealing to the eye, but they needed to have the right texture or acidity level. Like there's a shift in acid that goes from like almost rancid to acid being bright. When you think of like lime juice. You can tell old lime juice in a cocktail. You can take a little sip of it and tell right away when it's just old. And so I was the keeper of those things. I was taught to use rubber spatulas when getting vinaigrettes out of a container. And I was taught that in this way. I would be asked the question, what percentage of a dollar do you think the restaurant gets to keep? And it goes to the bottom line. And naively, like so many, when you're young, you're like, 50%? <laughs> That's right? 
Same response you just gave me. Working in the restaurant industry, there's always been plenty to worry about. And over the last year, cleanliness has been front and center in our minds and in the minds of our guests. Your world-class team and world-class patrons deserve world-class protection. Microband 24 Professional kills 99% of viruses and bacteria. It doesn't just sanitize and stop. It keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, even when the surfaces in your restaurant are touched multiple times. And the EPA has approved Microband 24 Sanitizing Spray is effective at killing the virus that causes COVID-19. So you can achieve your most confident clean, touch after touch. I learned at the time that the Illinois Restaurant Association, not Illinois, but the National Restaurant Association, who's the keeper of that data, from large chains, like whatever large chain, because I don't need to bring up chains, to some of the finest restaurants. On average, when I was a young cook, it was like 10%. It's gone down to 8%. We're talking average here. We're not talking about the restaurant that is killing it and doing 25%. I don't know a restaurant that does 50%. The only people that get close to maybe a 50% turnaround is a caterer that's doing like really huge events. And that's obsolete these days, right? So that's not even real. So 10%. Okay, now I've learned something. Now the next thing would be, how much of that do you think you're leaving in the container? by not using this rubber spatula. Well, if it was 2%, which is a really easy number to identify, like hardly any, right? I got 98% in the bowl, 2% was left. That's 2% of the profit I left in the bowl or in the cup, on up to 10%. You could work every day in the kitchen, put out really, really great food and leave all the profit in a container to get rinsed out or thrown in the garbage, okay? So the only way to embrace that it's not to be a good follower of the rules. It's to begin to own that. I own that sauce because I didn't identify the sauce that I was saving so that the man could earn money to pay me. I was preserving my job. I was creating sustainability in my own space. And then it was taught to me a different way. And this is the way that I kept because it's the fast way. How much do you think the restaurant owns? It's what I would ask a young cook of a dollar. They would tell me how much they think I own. And I would say, great. How much of that do you think you're throwing away right now? You know, it's crazy because the profit is always high, but what they're throwing away is always less. They could be throwing (laughs) away a whole jar of something and they're like 10% of the profit. Like stop playing, right? (laughs) And so then we get to a number that actually made sense. And then I say, if this is the percentage of the profit you're throwing away, you're throwing away your raise. I can't afford to pay you more money until you can afford to pay more attention to what's happening with the product. So it was about ownership. You had to own your space. You had to own the product that was on your station, not just own the opportunity to create a new dish, but you had to own the ingredient. So now what kind of impact did that make on me? Once I learned ownership through a very small lens or small scope, then I could build on that and I could expand that because now it wasn't if you throw away 2%, you're throwing away your raise. If you're throwing away 8%, you're throwing away the profit. It was, if we could just preserve the waste, we could now feed people 
end family meal. We can have better family meals. This could be a nicer place for us to work, spend time with each other. We could figure out, shit, hell, how to run a business with the stuff that everybody's throwing away. I mean, bone companies have made a mint. Taquerias have figured out how to raise the price of skirt steak, which was scrap at one point. Chicken feet have gone up. They were like the poor man's way of eating chicken for many, many years in this country. Now chicken feet are up because we realize there's more gelatin in chicken feet than there is in chicken backs. And some cultures eat chicken backs, fried chicken backs, right? And so the ownership mentality is the clearest path for me to ingenuity. And it's not because I can monetize things. It's because it's where the bulk of my creative space is. If we say that necessity is the mother of invention, I don't have space without someone owning it. Whether I'm renting space that someone owns or whether I physically own the space, there is ownership somewhere. And how do I gain more access, more freedom in that space? That's where that ingenuity starts to happen for me. I was taught if you want to cook with white truffles, figure out how to lower the food costs. We don't have more money. We're not going to exponentially get in 10,000 more customers this year that are going to come so you can buy white truffles next year. You've got to take the amount of customers you got, check average that you have, the cost that you have, and reduce them. And then the money you have left when you reduce them by raising the gross profit, gross revenues, right? And net profit allows you to have a little bit more money to buy some things you want to buy. And so that sounds like, honestly, ownership for me at home. Save your allowance and you get to go out and buy new gym shoes. We're not buying them. So you start owning space at home, right? Like you own that lawn. In basketball, we talk about owning somebody. That means they were always on defense. They could do nothing with you. And so we try to own experiences. And those experiences allow us to do other things that are really cool. And we get to eat. We get to benefit from those experiences and that ownership in a way that feels unique to our position in the marketplace. There's a massive cook shortage. And at least in my own experience, there was a massive shortage prior to the pandemic. Why do you think that's the case? And what do you think the solution is? Well, massive shortage of cooks. Cooking itself is not glamorous. Let's start there. It's a lot of repetition. And people are turned off by that level of repetition. Additionally, the rigor. You got to be willing to commit. In order to really get better at it, you got to be willing to commit. And most things that you want to be great at, it takes a huge amount of commitment. Commitment's a big word. It really is. Lastly, there's a shortage of development with cooks. Not training, development. If I learn how to cook, which can still feel domestic in some arenas, you know, short order cooks aren't trying to be on Top Chef next week. Many of them aren't. Short order, like your cafe, diner, breakfast joint, favorite burger place. A lot of mom pies open places that sell burgers. It's like, why do I have to take all of this, whatever this is? All I want to do is open a burger place. The difference between opening a mom pie burger place that's always busy, not because they're profitable, but because they just cook burgers really slow. They cook really good burgers, but they cook them really slow. And being efficient and cooking really great burgers and being really profitable. 
is the difference in you committing to going through that rigor over and over again, right? Because there's some steps of service that you pick up in um, highly efficient restaurants. That's a different level of expertise. Now, why? I got nothing against Food Network. I think they've done an incredible thing, marketing and branding talent and helping the world see the hard work that goes on behind the scenes in kitchens. However, there are a lot of people, a lot of young people that want to skip the rigor of high school sports, the rigor of double practices, two-a-days as they call them, the rigor of weight training. And I'm not talking about with weights. I mean like of your own weight, making sure you're eating healthier, living healthier. And they want to go straight to the major leagues and they haven't spent any time understanding how to talk, any time how to really master their skill. And that's kind of how it is in cooking and in restaurants. A lot of people want to go straight to the top. Cooks don't make a ton of money historically unless they're in like hotels. For many of us, that's been a badge of honor. Like we made a sacrifice to work up the food chain. I hope that cooks, we find an equitable way for businesses to stay in business and cooks have the opportunity to make more money and servers have the opportunity to sell. I think all the jobs in the restaurant are important. Whether I think it's a badge and honor or not is not the point. The point is, in order to work with your hands at that level, a sacrifice has to be made. And that sacrifice has to be made in front of the house as well. The best servers, the ones who make the most money, are spending time at home reading about wines that nobody's ever heard of. I mean, nobody's heard of them because there's information, but the great majority of us are, I can't think of the name of them, but our beer experts. They know things about beer, nuances about beer that we find joy when we can put that thing next to a word and next to an experience. And the same thing about our spirits providers. There's homework that has to be done. And so kitchens have homework and they have repetition. Even with all the information, you can create information overload at a table. Talk too much about a thing, you lose your guest. Right? They don't want to think that much. So it's a skill to convey that information in a way that feels appealing. And they're words that make sense to some and some words that don't make sense to others. Tobacco, leather, petrol, to a wine snob are clear identifiers of specific styles of wine. And oxidation, clear identifiers. Juicy, fruit forward are identifiers to people who... Don't particularly think petrol being gas is sexy. Leather, not so much in a glass of wine. So it has more to do with being able to figure out who your audience is and then appeal to them in a way where you can meet them and not go over them and not leave them behind. And most of us want to be met. Like nobody wants to go to a restaurant to feel like they're stupid. And so there's a place for cooks to do that as well. And unfortunately, the industry is not geared to attract as fast as we're losing. How's business today for you guys? We're closed today. It's a Tuesday. We close on Monday, Tuesday. I worked at a restaurant for a long time. It was open seven days a week. And I've tried my best to stay out of that. Even though I work seven days a week, I don't really subject the team to it. They do some six-day weeks every now and then if we have an event. But the direct answer to the question is, business is doing okay. We're still at 50% in Chicago. We will survive one way or the other. Summer is en route. We feel good about the potential of this summer. 
it feels like we're running in mud most days, meaning we're exerting a lot of energy to cover a little bit of space. So there's some rigor in just doing the job that we generally do. Again, I'm very, very hopeful. I've got a solid team. We need people. I just met with a chef right before I got on this call, and the chef was reiterating what you just asked about. Cooks aren't even showing up now. And we're going to keep searching to find the one or two adults that are eager to understand why, how, where, when, as it relates to cooking and as it relates to front of the house. And we're going to keep developing people. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Commit. That's the encouragement or advice I would give folk in the industry. One of the things people say to me most when my name appears in the most recent periodical is, oh boy, that was a really nice story. You deserved it. And I caution people from believing that they've deserved something because there's so many people that work hard in this industry that may not get the same notoriety or the same recognition or the same spotlight. But I will tell you that there is value in my life that extends beyond a dollar. The amount of resources that I've been able to have access to by way of job opportunities, funding, encouragement, support, counseling, advisory, conditioning. I mean, like the amount of people that you meet in the restaurant is like unparalleled. And you have this opportunity to gain a relationship with them. And people have merely been attracted to both my passion for what I do and my willingness to commit to integrity. And so I'm just committed to this industry and I'm committed in a way that makes me feel good in the community around me. And it pays dividends that are untaxed. If there was a tax, it's just my hard work. And so, yeah, I think commitment's a big word for me right now. That's Eric Williams. For more on The Chef's Restaurant, go to virtuerestaurant.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.